The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. You're welcome back to The Hard Shoulder. Kieran Cuddy with you until uh, seven o'clock. And delighted to be joined in studio by comedian Ty Hickey, well known to many of you, of course. Uh, from your different social media channels or platforms, I believe is how we're meant Hi. to describe them. Uh, Ty, how are you? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me. Good yeah, listen, the show. Uh, th- thanks a million for coming in. Um, how's the body, actually? How's the health? Wow, straight off. Okay, here we go. Um, good. No, it's good. And it's interesting you say body because um, a donor for me is very much in the body. Like, you know, it's it's kind of, it's visceral. So if I'm feeling down, I feel it in um, in my body. Like I was actually talking to Brizzy, not name dropping, but I was talking to Brizzy about oh, yeah. this. <laughs> Look, I'm going to actually just name drop at the start. Here's everyone I know. Um, no, but uh, but it is very visceral for him as well. It's kind of, I think when I was younger, I just assumed that anything that wasn't feeling quite right about me was located in my brain. But the the more I go on, it's all body. Like, so when I'm feeling down, I feel like my, I feel a knot in my stomach. I feel the anxiety is visceral. You know, so I think if you can kind of sort out the body, this is just my experience, um, the kind of mind tends to take care of itself a little bit, I think. And how do you do that? How do you generally go about sorting out your body? <laughs> well, I know when I'm in trouble, I suppose, because like without getting pretentious straight off the bat, I feel like I had a breakdown-ish recently, but I would prefer to think of it as a breakthrough, um, which is an idea that I've stolen and I haven't come up with it at all. I wouldn't be that smart to do that. But... The illness, Alain de Bouton, the philosopher says, is before the break happens. So that's where the sickness is. And I, my experience is that's totally right because I would have been working. I'm in recovery from alcoholism, but instead of that addiction, I had kind of wandered into work and I found that I was working every day. I was doing like making sketches, but it wasn't really fun anymore. I felt like I was churning them out because I needed to just kind of keep going and keep kind of, I know it sounds kind of a bit pathetic, but like you kind of get hooked on the kind of numbers thing and like the dopamine hits of like sketches doing well people telling you're a great lad getting direct messages from people that you admire it's very addictive especially mm. for an addict um so in that period i'm just like at home i'm just working and i'm not exercising i'm not eating right i'm not sleeping right and like it's not rocket science really like all these things if i don't do them they really affect me i think they might affect me more than the average person maybe and um, because of the addiction history but um yeah i found it just like exercising or like one example was I went running because I looked up like feeling I put into Google feeling bad what to do you know like helpless man with Google kind of yes, thing yes. and uh, it's it's all running and then I started running and I was like oh I hate running like I, do, I didn't enjoy running <laughs> so what I found for myself is like do something that you enjoy doing so I enjoy playing soccer I enjoy walking you know so just do stuff that you enjoy I have found to be good because you won't I won't keep up anything I don't enjoy yeah that's just me like when you began to feel that way, or rather if we reverse back actually yeah. uh, uh, and we'll, we'll apply this philosophy about the illness kind of coming before the break and you're chasing those numbers, because I, 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 I want to kind of get into that a little bit because like that is uh, unhealthy and all as it might seem. I mean, that is the bread and butter for you, getting those numbers, isn't it, on social media? It is. And I mean, like, especially in lockdown, there were no live gigs. There was no other option. And this is the thing. it's It's okay to work hard. It's okay to... Uh, be ambitious. It's okay to say I'm going to do a better sketch next time. It's going to reach more people. But when you wander into obsession, and I don't know where that line is. I've never really known where the line is for me. I find myself like at times going, I'm in control of this. I'm a little bit older actually than a lot of the young comics who are kind of flying with the sketches stuff. I've got more experience. I'm in recovery a few years. I'll be fine. Usually when I start to feel all those things that I'm fine and I'm sorted, that's when I'm definitely in huge trouble. Like so a kind of an mm. almost a spiritual arrogance kind of kicks in where I'm like, 
I'll be fine. So I don't know how it happens, but I tend to wander into obsession if I'm not looking at it. And when I'm in obsession, it's no longer healthy then because then it's just me. And, and it's not just sketches either. It's just general work. Like I'm just on my own in the world trying to make it. And I'm trying to almost prove people wrong who probably don't exist. Um, in my background, like I've probably been written off as a drink and drug addict years ago. And I'm kind of, I don't know if you've seen the Michael Jordan documentary, but like my friend, some of my friends nicknamed me Jordan because by the end of it, like he's just making up people who've said that he couldn't do stuff, you know, because <laughs> yeah. he's run out of actual <laughs> living opponents. So he creates fic- fictional like, you know, interlocutors like that are saying, oh, no, I don't know about that now. But um, I'm a bit like that, like, and I just need to kind of watch it because there's no one saying that I can't do stuff anymore. But I, I've i kind of created them yeah. as a means of motivation, which works up to a point until it doesn't work. But where does that come from? I mean, most of these things come from some something in our past. You'd imagine something in your upbringing. Uh, I don't want to turn this into kind of the psychologist chair, you know. <laughs> I, I'd lie back down there. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Well, I'm it's lying like, down as it is. Yeah. Oh, no, it's being recorded. <laughs> um. Do you, do you like do you know where it comes from or can you identify when you first began to feel like this like you kind of had something to prove to other people like I, I've, I've talked to my sister about this and she doesn't have it like we're obviously from the same well not obviously but we are from the same house and I kind of feel <laughs> like I was between two worlds a little bit so I mean like I I grew up in quite an ordinary part of Cork but I was between like my school that I went to I felt like I was not quite middle class enough for them but then the guys in my estate I was a bit posh for them. So I felt like I was between the two worlds, but I certainly identify more with uh, the working class kind of life or reality. And I feel like in college, in school, in art, on TV, you don't see it portrayed enough. My background is kind of theatre and and music, music not so much, but certainly theatre. Like th- there weren't many working class lads knocking around the theatre community of Cork when I was coming through. Like, And I kind of felt like, you know... The, the oh, was that, is that because there's there still a, a maybe... A, a, an attitude, not necessarily a conscious attitude, but at some level subconscious or cultural, uh, that it was, I don't know, it's kind of decadent or something that you maybe, you know, that's something that people do when they've got lots of spare time and spare money. You can flounce about in the theatre. We actually have to get on with kind of putting food on the table and paying rent and things yeah. like that. Yeah, and I think it's still like that. Like, for instance, like Mark O'Brien, who's taken over the Abbey, has, for me now, makes it feel like the Abbey is somewhere that I'm welcome. Now, this is all stuff that could easily just be playing out in my head, and I yeah. should say that, I should let listeners know. But I do feel like Ireland... You can England, say that about anybody's reality. Well, that's true. That's true, and it is my reality. I do feel like um, the working class story isn't kind of as welcome, and I think it's still that way. I mean, if you even look at, like, I was talking to a journalist friend of mine about this last night, like, there's been a housing crisis kind of bubbling in Ireland for the last 10 years but it's only front page news now because I think it's starting to really affect middle class people whereas like I know people in my world who've been really struggling to pay their rent for 10 years you know what I mean they they never got the the the, the nice period between the last major crash so I feel like I mean that's just a political example but I think in the arts as well um, and like you see a lot of series on RT at the moment and different shows whatever and I'm like where are these houses I don't know people who live in these massive houses you know it's I don't think they're quite portraying and often this, when you do put working class stories on TV, they do really well because everyone can identify with it. Even if they're, even if it's kind of middle class people fetishizing it a little bit, we all identify with it. I mean, look at Love Hate is still probably the most successful RT thing they've done. And it's the last really, you know, big working class thing I can think of drama wise. Um, you, 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 when you were talking about the, the, the breakdown, breakthrough uh, over Christmas, you used a phrase in, in one interview or, or online actually. You said, in my mind, I'm a mystic. 
What, do you, what does that mean? Well, it's back to the kind of spiritual arrogance. Like, because I, you know, the thing about most addicts I know anyway is that you kind of have to have an ego that really doesn't bear any relation to reality. So even when the evidence is not there that you're a great guy, um, you need it to survive. But then it's no longer fit for purpose. Like, I think um, Gabor Mate talks about this, that you need this kind of false self thing when you're young to get by. But then it's no long, it no longer works as you get older. So I, as I was saying, <clears throat> I felt like I had good recovery I hadn't drank in X amount of years, like six or seven years. I was helping other younger addicts in Cork and work was going really well. So I felt to myself like, oh, I've, I've completed life. Like I'm, I'm sorted. Now it's just not kicking back, but I'll just tip away with stuff and I won't have another problem. So I was under the impression that I'd become enlightened, I suppose. And I've just found out there recently that I hadn't at all. Like, <laughs> um, and that there's that, that the enlightenment thing, though, I think is almost in the day like that you can like a few days ago, I felt like I was healed again. Mm. And I don't feel as good today now And it's nothing to do with you Like it's just It has come down a little bit Okay Yeah totally unconnected to you Oh okay okay I'll take your word for that um, <laughs> that, that ego I mean so that, that allows you To see the world as an addict Through a prism That reflects positively on you Is it? And, and it's kind of The further into the addiction you go The more distorted that prism becomes Yes I feel it's <clears throat> And I think other addicts I've talked to Have the same thing Where well first of all Most addicts in my experience have trauma Everyone has trauma I haven't met anyone Who doesn't have trauma But like there's Sorry I, I don't want to make light of it It's kind of It's kind of like When you come home After a few pints As a teenager And you're kind of like I'm, I'm definitely going to Axe over here to my parents And, <laughs> and then you, you walk out of the room And you think oh, I nailed it I absolutely <laughs> nailed it Nobody's noticed That I'm out <laughs> yeah, of my yeah, mind yeah. Like yeah But that's true That's exactly right Because that's part of the ego thing Where you're like Against all the odds here, I'm actually doing very well, like, and I'm doing okay. But it's it's almost a response to if you've had trauma in your childhood, you'll either go under, I think, and you come out the other side, hopefully, or sadly, some people don't, or you go, none of this is going on, actually. I'm brilliant. I'm a superhero, and I'm going off my own journey now. And that usually means you start hurting other people then as well, because you're a little bit angry at what's gone on, and the world owes you something. And that was my experience. I just kind of went out. And I'm only now, in the last few years in recovery, learning that I can't treat people like whatever so that I can feel better about mm. the pain going on inside myself. Uh, through recovery, I mean, different, I, I don't know what programs or anything you did, but, you know, some of them have a, a kind of a, maybe not a Christian ethos, but certainly a monotheistic ethos. You know what I mean? There's this, yeah. a higher power. You're meant to subscribe to this idea that there's a higher power. Is that something you do? I do subscribe to a higher power, but it's not religious. Okay. It's not God. I wouldn't, I don't really, wouldn't use the word God much. Um, but it's a power greater than myself. I don't understand it at all and I don't need to understand it. I found that I was in and out of recovery for a long time and I won't, maybe other addicts might identify with this and I kind of go like, yeah, there seems to be a bit of a God thing here now. Like, so, do you know what? This isn't for me. I'm kind of, I'm more of a kind of an atheist, pseudo-intellectual Cork, cork Marx. Um, <laughs> I don't need any of this. Marx would be disgusted with God. Um, but for me, and it's just my experience, that was my way of convincing myself to go back out because I wanted to go back drinking. That's what it was. So when I tr- right. when I just threw away the, and this is going to get super pretentious now. Um, there's a philosopher. Emmanuel We're already Kant. super pretentious. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm just trying to like name drop like as much. It's a short interview. Um, but uh, no, I mean Kant. In I did philosophy in college, right? I didn't even do that well, but I just you know it's useful for kind of Wikipedia stuff. Um, no, but he talks about God being a speculation and that's his, that's good enough for me. That it's like, you can't really reason it, so there's no real point in talking about it. I do believe in a power greater than myself, but that power could be a load of alcoholics gathered together, sharing stories, helping each other out. Or the universe, or as a friend of mine uses, uh, the number 10 bus in Cork. The number 10 bus is his higher power. 
Uh, all I know about Emmanuel Kant is the Monty Python line from the song. Emmanuel <laughs> Kant is a real pissant. I'm drunk, therefore I'm able. <laughs> I was actually watching the docket with him at the moment. For anyone listening, you have to watch it. It's incredible. And um, you, you said something a few minutes ago, and it was funny because it, it made me think of 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 the North and a community in the North, and that kind of gets us into a lot of your work. And you said about um, in school, uh, kind of um, kind of existing in these two worlds, but not really kind of belonging to either and and for some reason I can't I, I don't know why but I, I was thinking about Arlene Foster the other day I, <laughs> honest this is a really true story I was thinking about her nice. and, and this idea of a kind of a post United Ireland I'd leave Northern Ireland she says and I'd go live in in, in England somewhere yeah. and, and I always think like how tragic that is uh, on one level and also kind of I, I don't know her from Adam but uh, or from Eve but I, I um, nice. a, a theory she subscribes to um, <laughs> um, that um She'd be lost there because they, they think she's Irish and she'd consider herself, you know what I mean? Again, I just think it's a great example. And to a degree, I kind of label the union, I think of the unionist community this way as well in kind of wanting to be in a world that kind of doesn't really identify yeah. with them as part of their world. Yeah, but but the tragedy is that both communities are a little bit like that, I think. The tragedy is that like unionists identify with um, Britain, obviously, and to rob an analogy from another friend of mine, it's like the drunken uncle at the at the parties. Like, who are you again? They don't they don't really kind of recognize what unionism or loyalism is. Like, I was talking to James O'Brien about it, and he he was like, if in the case of a United Ireland, he was saying that I'm not sure would it even raise a titter in Britain. Would they even notice? Like, and the, he actually used the word pathetic about displays of unionism and loyalism. Well, you know, like kind of flag waving loyalism, mm. and he meant it in a way of like we just don't know what it's about. We don't understand. And I think on a similar level, the South doesn't really understand enough, I don't think, the nationalist Republican identity in the North. So they have that in common, that they're both, they have much more in common with each other than they do either of the jurisdictions that they feel affinity to, yeah. I think. And that's the, the weird conundrum of the whole thing. And that's why I'm obsessed with the whole province, both communities. Uh, yeah, and that obsession then, I mean, is borne out in the sketches, isn't it? Yeah, well, I just wanted to do, quite aside from... Believe it or not, quite aside from any political ideology, I just wanted to do a little bit in what I was doing to raise raise awareness. Sounds a bit like I'm just starting a campaign, but like yeah. no, well, the North I, exists. Yeah, the North. Well, literally, like because yeah. I because I've got friends up there that like some like I was doing a gig there recently, and you know people came to the gig and afterwards they said, you know, thanks for for doing something that uh, just just talked about us. Literally, you know, they weren't saying it was a great sketch. They weren't saying you're a great lad. It was just like we don't really hear people in the south do anything really and I think that's the real thing with a United Ireland like that needs to happen like people talking across jurisdictions but yeah I've just always felt that I grew up in a state that we didn't really know what was going on up in the north um, we felt it had nothing to do with us that was certainly the media message down here anyway they keep fighting with each other they're mad for violence for reasons that we can't understand and we wish they would just stop it because it's embarrassing mm. that's the that's the jurisdiction I grew up in I, fe- I felt until I started doing a bit of reading myself and I just feel there's more to it from both communities yeah. like I'm not I'm not here as a as a you know a cheerleader for any group at all or any political party it's literally just it's a blind spot for the south yeah and I, but I wonder to what extent that is true for all of the south I mean the first is, is there there's a geographical element to it I'm sure isn't there I mean the fir- the closer you get to the border the more nuanced it's going to be because I would identify very much with your understanding of it growing up yeah. I'm Kilkenny no real yes. tradition of republicanism um, you know and, and not considered an IRA stronghold we'll yeah. put it that way um, <laughs> <laughs> and and that, that was that was our our 
exposure to the North. Yes. It was just through news headlines and every now and then Kilkenny would play Antrim. Yes. That was it. Yeah. But the further Same. north you go, it probably is a bit different, is it? It is, but I think... Cork and I mean I grew up in Cork obviously and I think it's the same in Dublin where there is this kind of I mean for, just to make one point and it, it felt like the, the troubles started in 1969 it felt that way to me in the south there was this complete blank in the south in a kind of a public consciousness of what happened between 22 and 69 so I had to go in and do my reading on that which to me just seems weird in my own country that we weren't talking about what was going on there about like abandoning a whole community and leaving them to live in a sectarian supremacist, unionist supremacist state. That just seemed kind of bizarre to me. But I feel like to, to, to go on the positives though, most people I talked up there, up there, they don't have resentment really. They just feel like a bit sad about it and they feel like a lot of people are making the right noises now on all sides of the political spectrum, all, all colours and shades, which I think is great that people are kind of going, this thing is coming down the line at some stage without a doubt. I think even Arlene Foster probably knows that a little bit. That's why she's saying things like, I'd move if it happens. Mm. No, she's also saying it would never happen. And those two things can coexist logically. But um, but I think people know that's going to happen at some stage. And I welcome the shared islands, the shared islands and all those platforms. I really welcome Fianna Gael getting involved in it. I think Fianna Fáil are missing the boat in it a little bit. Um, some of them aren't, to be fair, some of them aren't. But just talking about how we're going to coexist together, even if there wasn't unity, how would the two jurisdictions work a bit yeah. better together? Most of my friends in Cork haven't been to the north much. Maybe once if it was a, a I, I wasn't in the north before I did this job, before I worked in News Talk. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, again, the odd match against Antrim. I think down in the early 90s hit a decent yeah. team. But, uh, but like, why? And I'm not putting you on the spot there now, but uh, obviously I am. Um, why? We, I guess, we first of all, uh, no, we had no family connections to it, which is a, is a big thing for That's where fair. people travel and ar- it's a bit of a around trek, Ireland. Like. Yeah, um, a bit of a trek, and then I guess we went on holidays to Trabalgan in in, in Cork. When, <laughs> when, Cor- when wonderful Same. Cork is so close, why would you go to the north? <laughs> well, now you're talking. Now you're talking. Um, yeah, but also I guess it was kind of seen as God is going up there more trouble than it's worth. Yeah, I'd say there was probably that attitude a little bit as well. Yeah, I just feel that that attitude persisted long after the Good Friday Agreement, though. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, which well, is... it gives me a completely two-dimensional uh, mm. view or did. Like, I, I still to a degree, but certainly I did for a long time. I couldn't meet someone from the north without immediately trying to work out which one are you yes. now? Yes. One of us or one of them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even the one of us is tenuous when you're yeah, from the exactly, south. Like, yeah. And you have no yeah. interest and I'm like... I, you think you're one of us. I don't think you're one yeah, of us. But. Yeah. Which one do you think you are? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'll put you straight either way. Like, you're none. Um, and, and like, when it comes to the sketches then, I mean, to what extent is the motivation for you, like, holding up a mirror to all of that? That it's political commentary or... That again, it's just I got to make this funny enough to get a, the the right amount of eyeballs on it on Twitter and yeah, TikTok. It's both, right? Because in the start of lockdown, I started making sketches that I literally just thought, "What would you like to do here now, Ty? I'd like to do a sketch on British imperialism, and I'm playing all the characters in the house, and there's a few glasses around there, and I'll set up the camera this way." I swear to God, that's literally the yeah. thought. Then some of them started taking off, and I'm like, I can't believe there's an interest in this. You know what I mean? Like, cause I've been trying to make sketches that I thought you liked, and they went nowhere. Um, so that was my initial experience and like swear to God I mean I get accused of it all the time of being kind of like um, a shinner stooge or whatever I I would vote for a party that I feel is doing the most towards unity that's that's. I'm not saying that's the only political issue that I'm mm. interested in but it is a passion and it's good for me to just share my passion because there's a lot of people talking about the other things I have no I'm not a member of any party 
So there's no there's no real ideology in it. I'm just more interested in like what what areas are we not talking about? So for instance, like Israel Palestine, British colonialism, I think like on the colonialism one, the only complaints I ever get from my colonial sketches are people in the south. I get most of my That's half class. my followers are from England and half my patrons are from GB. Right? And th- so this is people who are giving you money every month to make your nonsense. Yeah. The only complaints I ever get are from people in the south going He's embarrassing us. This is a disgrace. This is anglophobic. How dare you? And people from England are constantly getting onto me going, this is great crack. Fair play. Everyone in England's talking about this now. There's a real movement to try and get the historical amnesia. Do something about it. Fair play. So I think there's this really interesting thing in Ireland and I won't, um, I won't stop doing them, I don't think, as long as I'm not offending or hurting people kind of below like if you're punching down yes there's a problem but if you're punching at the Tory government or generations of, of historical na- amnesia I think I'm okay to tip I away there I think you're okay you know? so for people who are enjoying them the tour at the moment what can you tell us yeah, about it yes so I have actually a one man show about my alcoholism I, it's all very cheery stuff I do, <laughs> I do uh, sketches and shows about call in one out the other it's gotten great reviews I'm delighted to be uh, Culture Ireland are, are funding me doing a UK tour so I'm in Edinburgh on Sunday and then I'm in England Bristol, Brighton, Liverpool, Manchester, London then back in Cork on June the 2nd and 3rd in the Everyman Theatre please come to see the show buy a ticket etc etc love you alright listen Ty it's been an absolute pleasure thanks a million thanks a million buddy cheers Ty Kiki comedian and as he said if you just go to his website you'll find details of all of those uh, shows and a whole lot more that's our lot for this show for The Hard Shoulder uh, today my thanks to the production team to Cahal and Alex and Roisin and Dara D. King produced Mark Simpson was our editor Michael Quilligan and Peter Malloy were on sound Off the Ball are up next and I'll be back tomorrow from four have a good one folks The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan weekdays from four on News Talk.